I would like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew. We'll begin in the 19th chapter with verse 1, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. May God use his word to speak to us, to stir us, to help us to prepare for the battle that is coming, no doubt about it. If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 19, the word of God says in verse 1, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to please mark that last expression, verse 6. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The truth is, God puts married couples together. And the Lord reveals so many things here. He reveals the truth of creation. The fact is that God created us in his image. You remember the story of creation and that Adam needed to help me and God from the side of Adam took a rib and created his help me, Eve and presented her to him to be his wife. The Lord performed the first marriage in the Garden of Eden and he affirms to us the distinction between the creation of a man and a woman. Think of that. There's almost a bit of humor here with the question that's posed to Jesus. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Uh, just imagine what's in the minds of those men when they think about wonder what she has done and the degree of what she's done and is that bad enough for me to say that's all, that's it. And imagine the first time you had an argument and the severity of the thing went so far and you said, that does it, that's it. <laughs> it's all over. Uh, how many wonderful things the Lord corrects here. And when he speaks to them, the Pharisees ask a question to the Lord Jesus, tempting him. 
saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read? That's something all of us need to pay close attention to. We get the truth we need from the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And he said, if you read read the Bible, you're going to understand that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. When God created, he created male and female. There's distinct differences in the creative person of a man and a woman. So many differences. When you're starting out in marriage, as a matter of fact, I grew up with two sisters and I think that was providential. God wanted me to grow up with two sisters. And I sure learned a lot of things that were different between men and women, boys and girls. It was an education, not just in their physical appearance and ability, but in their reaction to things, how they responded to things, how they responded to my mother, (laughs) and how my mother raised all four of us basically by herself. And uh, she could say certain things to the girls and they took it a certain way. She'd say certain things to me and the way she said it, I took that a certain way and internalized it. I was supposed to be the oldest and leader of the group. And then she would say the same things to my brother and she had to threaten him within an inch of his life and finally he would take it. Uh, If you've raised more than one child in your family, you find that they're different, aren't they? But men are different from women biologically, physiologically, sociologically, different. God fashioned a woman with uniqueness and fashioned a man with uniqueness so that the man and the woman could enter into marriage and they could have children and train those children. And when you have a man, a boy child born, he will always be a boy. There's nothing about him that will transform him or no one that can transform him into a girl. We've had to go through all kinds of trials about that. And there are many tragic stories written about people who tried to make boys to become girls and girls to become boys. But God created male and female. And the answer to so much of what we're dealing with, especially in this day, is found in God's creative act of what he did when he made a man and when he made a woman. And the Lord goes on to say, not only did he make them male and female, but he talked about marriage, that two could become one. The Bible says in verse five, and he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Isn't it interesting that Adam had no mother and father But the principle is here. 
And God established the principle from the get-go or from the very beginning that if there's going to be cleaving to his wife, he had to leave his mother. So they must be leaving and cleaving. And that's a principal thing we find. And the word of God says in verse six, wherefore they are no more twain, not two, but one flesh. God can take two people and make one person. And that's what the Lord does in marriage. Marriage is a sacred union God established himself. And he put that together in creation. And we learn so many things from God and his creative act concerning marriage. The Bible says they become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. I want you to mark the expression, what therefore God has joined together. If God is doing it, and he is, if they're joined together, and they are, and they become one, two people become one, and they do, how does that happen? It is a supernatural thing. It is not something we can muster up just in our human ingenuity and become one. Now, as I said, when I was a boy, I had sisters. I found out quickly that my sisters were different from my brother and that we had responsibilities. I could say things to my sisters and they would respond a way that my brother would respond. I do a lot of joking about Tommy, but he's the greatest brother any brother could ever have. He is a wonderful Christian young man and God has changed his life and I thank God for it. But you didn't talk the same way to the sisters that you talked to my brother. Matter of fact, my sisters said to me one time, uh, they had children and their children were girls. My youngest sister had two girls. My oldest sister had two girls and my brother had two daughters. And uh, God gave to my wife and to me two sons. And they've said often, you could never have made it talking to girls the way you've talked to your boys. As a matter of fact, just laying things out and tell them what to do and when to do it. You just don't talk to girls that way because girls are different from boys. How different? How do you take two people that God created differently and they become one person? That's what God says. And our all-wise God has designed it that way. As a matter of fact, Adam had the perfect fit for his life, a helpmeet, one who answers to, in Eve. Eve had the perfect fit for her wife, for her husband. He, she was the perfect fit for her husband in the creation of Adam. Only an all-wise God could do that, and he is an all-wise God. If you are a scientist, like some people I know, and you talk about the DNA and the makeup and the chromosome makeup 
between a male and a female. The more you learn, the more you discover, the more you understand what God did in his creative act, making them different. And you think, how can two people who are so different become one person? That's what the Lord says happens. Hold your place here just a moment and turn with me in the Bible to the book of Genesis. Let's just read the account again because the Lord Jesus makes reference to it. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says, in Genesis chapter one and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. Oh, that's what we want. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God uniquely made a woman so that she could bring forth a baby. And he uniquely made a man so that that man and his wife in that union could create a child. And the more you study about a woman's body, the more you understand that God prepared her body for that child. And the more you understand about a man, the more you understand what a nut he is, excuse me, uh, trying to be all he ought to be as a father for his children. The Lord is a perfect God. He does things a perfect way. When Evelyn and I met, I knew she was the girl for me. I remember saying to her mother, I want to marry your daughter. She said, well, have you prayed about it? Do you tithe your income? <laughs> uh, she had several questions for me. She was quite the lady. She's with the Lord now. Praise God, we'll meet her again. But she had a litany of things that I was to pass if I was going to take her daughter as a wife. And I realized that as a man, God allowed me to fall in love with a woman and the woman was gonna be my wife. And her mother recognized when she had her as a baby, she knew that she would grow up someday to be a woman. And her mother put certain things in her life and prepared her not to be a man. Oh, she was bold. She was adventuresome. She was independent. She and her mother lived alone. I can remember how they fixed things and they didn't need a man to do that because her father was killed in an automobile accident when she was just a child. Most of you know that story. And so if the well was broken, they fixed it. If the washing machine was broken, they fixed it. If the yard needed mowing, of course they mowed it. 
If the roof needed repairing, they repaired it. And then I came in on that scene and I thought some days, what do they need a man for? And I was serious about that. But I found out they need a man. They answered to a man. And as bold, as adventuresome, as independent as they both were, God made them that way, to answer to a man, not to be abused by a man, not to be taken over by a man. And so I had an education ahead of me, as most men do. And some wonderful things took place in our lives. Now God has given us all these years as a husband and wife together. And I want to help you because we live in what's called all this gender confusion. There really is not gender confusion. There is certainty and clarity about men and women. And Jesus takes us back to the beginning, back to creation to teach us these things. I want you to take the time to turn with me to the epistles and what God says to us in the book of Ephesians as he lectures to us, teaches us about marriage. And I want you to take the time to write these things down because we're concerned about a, a woman and a man being united in marriage and two people who could not be more different in some ways, becoming one person. Two people becoming one. That's what God says. And so the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians in chapter five, if you have your Bible open there, in chapter five and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There is a supernatural work done by the Lord in the life of believing woman in the life of a believing man. I mean by that, someone who knows the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. And there to be filled with God's Spirit. Now when God created you and created me, he created us in his own image. And we're created and we have a whole life and in that whole life we have spirit, soul, and body. In our spirits where God dwells, our spirit will live as long as God lives and that's where the Lord lives in us when we trust him as our savior. We ask him to forgive our sin and by faith trust him as our savior. When you look at me and I look at you, you look like one person but really you are one person but with three distinct parts God made you in his image. As we speak of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we have one God expressed to us in three persons. And so every person to whom you communicate, especially in this context, the person you marry, has a spirit, a soul, and a body. You can get the idea sometimes that it's only a body 
And so all kinds of foolish things are done and foolish statements are made as if we're treating a person just like they have a body. And that's all. But there's a spirit that will live as long as God lives. And they have a soul. In the soul, they have intellect, emotion, and will. You're never going to know the person that you're married to unless you know them in spirit. There's a certain spirit about them. And their body. And their body is distinctive, yet united with soul and spirit. My wife has a certain color eyes, and I love them. They're my favorite color eyes. She has a certain sense to hearing. She can hear whatever she wants to hear. <laughs> Not everything I say, but she certainly hears what she wants to hear. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. The truth of the matter is, we, we relate to one another and communicate with one another in that wonderful creation of the body. And we become one in spirit, one in soul, one in body. Now, the Lord expects for his children to be filled with his spirit. We receive the spirit of Christ when he comes to live in us. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, Romans chapter eight says he's none of his. And so my spirit, being a person born again of God's spirit, and my wife's spirit can communicate with one another. I'm to be filled with the spirit to let the Holy Spirit of God control my life and she's to let the Holy Spirit of God control her life. Now I want to say something and you think, oh yeah, I know that. No, you don't know it. You say, oh, I know that. I believe that. No, you don't believe it. We can never be what God wants us to be unless she's filled with God's spirit. I can never be what I ought to be unless I'm filled with God's spirit. It's not a good suggestion. God says, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. What does that mean? It means an emptiness. It means a willingness. It means a yieldedness. I receive the spirit of God when I trust Jesus Christ as my savior. That's a part of my salvation. He comes to live in me. He comes to live in her when she trusts the Lord as her savior. My wife was raised in the most wonderful home. Her mother, most dedicated Christian you'd ever meet. Sincere, serious about things. She had a great sense of humor. As a matter of fact, she had a greater sense of humor than my wife or, or I have. But she was a Christian who was very serious about the Lord and things of God. I think it's because of my mother mother-in-law's Christian life, my mother-in-law's Christian life, that Evelyn recognized one day she was not really a Christian. She said to me, after I was a pastor in a church, she said, I've never been born again. I had, don't have the spirit living in me. 
Now, she was the most charming girl I ever met in my life, most beautiful girl I'd ever met. And I was in love with her. Of course, she was my wife. But there was something missing in the oneness, in the communication that I wanted with her and she wanted with me because she had never been born of God's spirit. Because unless you're born of God's spirit, you can't be filled with God's spirit. And the Bible says you're commanded to be filled with the spirit of God. So she told me she needed to be born again. She needed to ask God to forgive her sin and by faith trust the Lord Jesus as her savior. And everybody that I talked to, everybody I knew said, that's not Evelyn. Evelyn is a Christian. If anybody is a Christian, if anybody knows the Lord, it's Evelyn. I remember speaking to her uncle about Evelyn, Evelyn coming to the Lord and trusting the Lord as her Savior. She said, he said to me, Clarence, that can't be true. It just can't happen. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm not trying to cause you to doubt, but I want you to think about it. Everything you can imagine, you can imitate that's Christian. But unless you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's all a pretense unless you've asked God to forgive your sin and by faith trusted the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. I remember when Evelyn was born again. That's a supernatural thing. When the Holy Spirit came to live in her, She's always been a great girl. She was the best girl I ever met in my life. But she's different now. The first church I pastored, I was preaching one morning. She came forward in the service crying and said, I need to be born again. That was a shock. Shock to me, it was a shock to other people. Now she'd been discussing it with me when we talked about knowing the Lord and being Christians. But I'm saying we're dealing with supernatural things. If you want oneness, can you imagine the God of heaven and earth, the creator God who spoke the world into existence? Says two people totally different are to become one. Well, that can't be done apart from the supernatural work of the Lord. But when she was born again, this beautiful, attractive girl that I was deeply in love with came to know the Lord in a way she had never known him. And the oneness that we can have came the way God wanted to come. First in spirit, then in soul. That's intellect, emotion, and will then embody. But it can't be done without the supernatural work of the Lord. And some of you, you try, you try, you try, you imitate everything you can imagine you need to be doing and every expectation you think is laid upon you, but you can't be the Christian God wants you to be unless you have Christ in you and you're filled with Christ and his spirit. Maybe, just maybe, the greatest need in churches today is for church members to truly be saved. 
maybe. Only you know if you know the Lord as your Savior. But if two people are going to be one as God's designed it, you have to be born again and be filled with his spirit. Now, I've written and spoken many times on the filling of the spirit and there's many things I could say, but I want to leave it at that. Now, I want you to look at something else, would you please? As we're reading in chapter five, the word of God says in verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Number 19, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You have to get to the point where you're in a communion with Christ. Let me ask you, just using the words of scripture, are you speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns? and spiritual songs? Are you singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? Are you happy in Jesus? If you're gonna be one with your husband and one with your wife, in marriage, the way God's designed it, both of you have to be happy in the Lord Jesus. That's what the word of God says. Verse number 20 giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this thanksgiving to Lord is an attitude of the heart. Are you that kind of grateful person? You may be married to a grouch and she may be, excuse me, and he may be. I'm trying to cut up with you a little because it's a serious thing. Are you happy in the Lord? Are you giving thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a grateful person? How can you ever be one, two of you become one person if one of you is grateful and filled with gratitude to God and the other's always finding fault? Then here comes the big thing. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is mutual submission. Now I'm the boss, I'm the leader. I've often said many times, I'm the head of my house. My wife's the neck. And when she neck moves, the head turns. And so we all know how that works, don't we? But Evelyn is kind enough when push comes to shove, and that's a figure of speech, not a literal action, she knows that it's her responsibility to give me the last word. And that's not a word that I give while she's walking through the hall and saying (laughs) something else, but she submits to me. And every woman needs to be submissive to a man who cares more about her than he cares about himself. I can say this honestly, sincerely, the most convicting moments in my life when I realize I've done something or said something to hurt my wife. 
It's never the will of God. But there must be mutual submission if there's going to be oneness in a home. Mutual submission. And every woman ought to have the privilege of submitting to a man who cares more about her than he cares about himself and what he wants. Look at that. See your pursuits. Talk about what you've made priorities of. You love anything or anybody outside the Lord Jesus Christ more than your wife. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I know what some men say. They grow up hearing what their fathers say. Ain't no woman gonna tell me what to do. Well, that's tragic if you have a wife. It's tragic if you have children who need to see you submitting to the needs of your wife because you're raising boys that are gonna be abusive to their wives and you're raising girls, unfortunately, they're gonna accept some man's abusive behavior. That's not the way God intended. There's mutual submission here. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is God's way. The most powerful people in the world are people who won their husband's hearts and I can't imagine anything their husbands wouldn't do for them because they've submitted themselves to their husbands. And then the word of God says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. You see, there's no man and no woman can make this a reality in their life and marriage. It can't be done unless God enables you. And that's where the first filling of the Holy Spirit is essential here. But the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, all of this being a certain thing, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Can you imagine a church saying, I'll tell you one thing, Jesus isn't gonna tell me what to do. You know, I've heard people say that kind of thing. Oh, they're, they're ashamed when they say it. But I've been a pastor for 56 years. Don't you think I've heard about everything? Seen rebellious men and rebellious women? Maybe I should say rebellious women and rebellious men. Some men let them have their way in everything all their life and that's the way it always has to be. You see, the kind thing for you to do to your wife is to let her know she's not gonna run everything in your home and everything with your children. You're not gonna be abusive, husband but you're gonna order your house the way God 
that's designed for it to be ordered. My wife should never question that I have her best interest in my heart. Now, I may have other interests in my heart, but God convicts me and she prays that I'll be convicted about it. And I, I can't live that way. And the Lord brings me to the point where the strongest thing I do is to say to her, I'm sorry. Pray for me. I never want to hurt you. You see, the greatest thing God ever gave us on this earth after salvation is a Christian home, a truly Christian home. But it has to be worked at. It really has to be worked at. I grew up in a home where my mother said to me, when my father died and my father left us and then my father died, my mother said to me, now you're the oldest of four children, you've got to help me to lead this home. And she gave me a lot of authority. That had to be brought into check many times, many times. My wife <laughs> was in a home where her father would die. Her father died in an automobile accident. And her mother had to work to support the family. And Evelyn had lots of power and authority. Can you imagine a woman like that meeting a man like me? We had to work on some things, didn't we? And it wasn't overpowering her. It was coming to the point where she knew I loved the Lord and I had her best interest in my heart. It's possible to have a Christian home, but not without the supernatural work of the Lord. I'm just being as practical as I can possibly be because I love you and I love your home and love your children and love your grandchildren. I've been here a long time and I plan to stay a lot longer if God gave me the health to do it. I'm praying for these four miracle years. But the word of God says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. And here it is. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How would you speak to your wife if you spoke to your wife? Well, you know, the Lord speaks to you. There are times you have to put your foot down, but it ought not be like we're straightening you out once and for all and forever and I forget you. No, 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 no. Like a pastor came to me one time. He said, I need some help. I'm going back to my church and I'm going to have a family meeting. I'm calling the church together and I'm going to straighten some people out. And I said to him, what are you going to do after that? What are you going to do after you've done the straightening out? And you know what he did? He started crying. He started crying. He said, I don't have the right attitude about this, do I? I said, no, not if you love the Lord and love the people. Because you're not trying to straighten them out just to get them to do what you want them to do. You're both trying to do what the Lord wants you to do. 
it can happen. I don't have a meeting with my wife and my children, especially when my children were growing up, and she doesn't have the kind of meeting with me when our children were growing up where we want to divide from one another. Now, that's mama's side, and that's your side. You, no, no, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. Foolish. Because two people were to become one person, and it can't be done without the supernatural work of God doing it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Think of that, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their, their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. All of us, men, all of us need straightening out. All of us. And the best person to do it is the Lord Jesus working with a loving wife to help you be the man God's designed for you to be.